Hello, you're listening to Eve, Where Are You? A show designed to confront toxic practices against women in the church. I'm your host, Dr. Nicole Davis, conflict coach and resolutionist. We're in week three of Women's History Month. And if you've been following along with me, I've actually been sharing stories out of a book that I'm reading. And as I'm reading these stories and I thought to share them on the podcast, I made the decision to not mention the women's names, their nationality, anything about their backgrounds so that we would be able to just listen and to hear with unbiased ears. Because a lot of the times we can't get the lesson that God would have us to get because the filters that we use and the judgments that we put on people keep us from being able to go as far as we can to reach as high as we can because we make assumptions about the person that God wants to use to speak to us. Age doesn't matter. Gender doesn't matter. Nationality doesn't matter. Socioeconomic status doesn't matter. Political affiliations don't matter. We're all human beings and we're all vessels that God can work through and use to teach us something. Not only do we need to be humans, God can use anything to teach us something. We just have to be open. So I'm sharing these stories and the one for this week is it's going to um, really touch on the, the role of a wife. And, you know, because we're a lot of women, as we're talking about women's empowerment, is from a position of being in the front. And all of our power and all of our influence is not from the front. It doesn't have to be from the front and we can still be fulfilled in it. So I'm going to share this story today for those who don't necessarily want to be in the front or don't feel like they need to do something where it's public so that your hearts can be encouraged as well. So we're going to discuss the life of a wife of a well-known church reformer of the 15th century. And this particular woman happened to be married to a famed leader of the Protestant Reformation. And when he married this woman, it was said by many that he did it for one reason, and it was to prove that he condoned clerical marriage. And so this woman was considered a wood plank. And in saying that she was a wood plank was saying that she had no real relevance. So let's go into the story and see what we can learn about her. And it says, at a closer look, her life and personality reveals a deeper story. She was a woman who risked marrying one of the most controversial men of the time, a man who could have very likely been burned as an heretic, as a heretic at any given moment. She was a woman who raised six children, ran a boarding house, oversaw a working farm complete with fruit orchards, livestock, and a fish pond, and advised and cared for her husband, who was prone to illness and bouts of depression. Far from a mere plank in her husband's platform, she was an integral part of the entire foundation. And as I was reading this, of course, the word integral stood out to me. And integral means essential or necessary. And for many years, decades even, you know, when you think of a husband and wife, the questions come up 
about the roles of each one. You know, um, many people will say that the husband and wife are equal, but they have different functions and all of that. And okay, that's true. But make no mistake about it. The woman, you are no less important or necessary to the well-being of that man and that family. All right. So it says here, her husband had always claimed that he would never marry. And as he stated, because I expect daily the death of a heretic. However, he reconsidered his position, especially after he consulted with his parents, who were overjoyed at the prospect of possible grandchildren. Their marriage was nothing short of scandalous at the time. Both had taken vows of chastity. The union of a clergyman and a nun was radically revolutionary. Rumors flew wildly that the two lived together before actually marrying. Even two years after their marriage, she was the subject of a ruthless printed pamphlet accusing her of acting like a chorus girl, leading a, quote, damnable, shameful life, close, close quote, being, quote, despised of all men, close quote, and forsaking Christ and earning his disfavor. There was also the fact that her husband led a dangerous life. He was honest with his wife from the start, stating matter-of-factly that if he were burned as a heretic, she would likely receive the same punishment. And then there was the age difference to consider, with nearly 20 years between them. She was aware that she would likely be left a widow, even if her husband didn't die prematurely as a religious heretic. In short, marrying him in 1525 was not only a radical, controversial, history-altering decision on her part, it was also a courageous one. Now, when you listen to her life story, we're just going to take a break here. When you listen to her story, what I get from it is there is no perfect life. Like, you know, we have this, this dream of our prince coming, taking us away, rescuing us, making our lives so wonderful. We'll ride off into the sunset. And if we're both in ministry, we'll do ministry together. We'll have a son and a daughter, and the son will be older. We'll have the dog if you like pets. We'll live in a nice area. We'll have a big home, and everything will be beautiful. Well, normally it doesn't work that way. And here's a perfect example of it. They came into the marriage with scandal. Now, most of us don't even have to deal with scandal that, that early on unless, you know, you're someone who's already out um, prominent and well-known. But what I got from it is that there's no perfect life. There's no perfect situation, no perfect marriage, no perfect time. God uses all of it however he needs to, to get us where he wants us to be. We just need to follow what we believe is God's plan for us in our hearts and do the things that we believe are right for us in the moment. And the thing about it is we're not going to always understand it's not going to always make sense to us. And it really may not make sense to other people. And we have to be okay with that. We have to be okay with that. We don't need everyone to be on board with what it is that we want to do, especially if you believe and if I believe it is what I should be doing because it's what's best for me. 
and you believe is what's best for you. We never know how God is going to use a situation or a person to get us where he wants us to be. And that's just the fact of the matter. We never know. The courage is in going anyway. Trusting. That's what it is. It's faith. You don't know what's going to happen, but you go anyway. Let's go back to the story. The union may have begun as one of conviction and convenience, but over time it grew into a marriage of mutual respect, admiration, and love for both husband and wife. And let's stop right there because that is powerful. So I gave you a little entree into their lives. You can see a little bit of what they went through. But despite that, it says, over time, it grew into a marriage of mutual respect and admiration and love for both husband and wife. And that is my prayer for marriages. Anyone that's listening to me, it could have started off as a fairy tale, unlike the woman in this story, because hers was riddled with scandal. It could have started off well, but right now it's not going so well. And, you know, when we stand up in the front and we take those vows and we're saying, you know, for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, sickness and in health, we're always really expecting that it's always going to be good, that it's always going to be romantic and we're always going to be happy. But where we're really tested and where we're really developed are in those moments when it's not so great. But if we persevere, if we stay the course, and if we are willing to truly give ourselves to the marriage, because I think one of the things we struggle with is this the the concept of the two becoming one. Like that's just foreign. Like even as you think about it, to practically apply that, the two becoming one. I have my own mind, he has his own mind. I have my own interest. He has his own interest. Just you could just think of a myriad of things where we don't agree or we're not on the same page or we just don't like the same things. And yet there is an expectation from God that the two shall become one. And what that means is that we're singleness in mind and what it is that we want for us as a couple and for our family. And when we can get on the same page in those areas, that no matter what, no matter what, I'm going to support you, no matter what, I'm going to encourage you, no matter what, I'm going to stand with you. Like that is where the relationship is developed. My husband and I have been married for 30 years. I was 21 years old when we got married. He was 20. We were babies. We made a commitment because we believed that that's what God had for us. It didn't matter where we both came from, our backgrounds. We both decided to not allow that to predict what our relationship would be like. We had made a decision that we were going to allow the word of God to lead us and that we wanted to have the kind of marriage that God said we could have because it certainly wasn't what we saw. But we were willing to do what was necessary and we've been willing to support one another. And I think, you know, when we decide to get on the same page and really see us, see ourselves in a marriage as a partnership, 
even when one doesn't necessarily see it at the time. So say you're in a marriage, this is what you want, but your husband is just not for it, but he's your husband. And although you can't control him, you can control you. And you can start doing the work that's necessary to show him that you are loving, that you are supportive, that you are encouraging, that you're going to communicate, that you're going to consider him in all that you're doing, that you want him to be a part of what you're doing, that he is significant to what you are doing. Like there has to be an intentionality in how it is that we let the person know that they are integral to what is happening in our lives. They matter. They are necessary. We have to put forth the effort in that. So when I read those words, the union may have begun as one of conviction and convenience, which doesn't sound good for marriage. Over time, it grew into a marriage of mutual respect, admiration and love for both husband and wife. So then the book goes on to say. Although she and her husband shared a mutual respect and love, she was also not afraid to engage in theological and political discussions with her husband and to challenge him when necessary. His colleagues, knowing how persuasive she could be, often enlisted her to convince her husband of a particular action or response, and she was stubborn as well. When her husband insisted that she read the Bible cover to cover, she finally retorted, I've read enough, I've heard enough, I know enough. Would to God I lived it. She was devoted to her husband, cared for him with compassion and love during his frequent illnesses because he was prone to depression, hypochondria, and kidney stones. And it was her husband's good fortune that his wife was exceedingly skilled in medicine. She often tweaked his diet to help alleviate his kidney stones, concocted herbal remedies to quell his depression, and used massage to ease his anxiety. How beautiful is that? How beautiful is that? First of all, that she could still have her own thoughts, her own mind, right? That she, when necessary, felt like she could let him know when she didn't agree on the issues of the day. And she felt comfortable enough to do that. They were mature enough spiritually and emotionally to allow the other the freedom to speak their heart and their minds. And and they felt that they were in a safe place to do it. That has to be built like you cultivate that over time. That is not something that just happens. We create the kind of relationships we want by becoming the very thing we desire. It's not just a prayer. It is an action. And like I said, it's intentionality and every day making the choices that will create this kind of love affair with the husband of our youth, with the husband of our future, with the husbands that we have chosen and that the ones that we said, I do too. So I'm encouraged when I see these words, like I know things that I need to work on for me and I know the things I need to work on for us. But I have to be willing to submit not only to him, but to me and to God's will so that we can become what God has in mind when he thinks about marriage between a husband and a wife. 
It says she was also no ordinary housewife. She raised not only her own six children, but at various times, a half dozen nieces and nephews and the four orphans of a friend who had died in the plague, as well as her husband's frequent guests and student boarders. Although she had some domestic help, she performed much of the work herself. She herded, milked, and slaughtered cattle, made butter and cheese, brewed beer, planted and harvested a garden and a fruit orchard, managed multiple livestock and poultry, including horses, cows, calves, pigs, chickens, pigeons, and geese, and caught fish from a brook that flowed through the property. Her husband admitted, in domestic affairs, I defer to my wife. Otherwise, I am led by the Holy Spirit. Because her husband is who we hear about, we might be tempted to diminish her role in Christian history, either by overlooking her entirely or at best defining her as nothing more than a tool her husband used to illustrate his convictions about clerical marriage. In doing so, though, we risk making a caricature of a woman who in reality was a courageous risk taker, an unsentimental, determined survivor, a savvy businesswoman, an astute advisor, a devoted wife and mother, and a woman of faith. While she did not impact history in the public sphere, as did many of the women included in this book, her legacy as the enterprising and loyal partner of her husband should be acknowledged and celebrated. She may not get much credit in the history books, but she was, here's that word again, an integral part of her husband's success. So the takeaway that I want you to get from this is that for those of us who are married, we have to learn to lift our husbands up. We have to learn to lift each other up. We have to be supportive. We have to be willing to serve one another and act as one, truly become one. See all that has to be done and accomplished in our homes, in our ministries, in our business, in our careers as a united front, dealing with those things and tackling those things together. I get it. I understand every woman is not called to lead an organization, but we are called, though, and that is to lead ourselves first and then our families, as well as our circles of influence. We have the capability to make the difference in the lives of many people. What I like to say is we're the answer to somebody's prayer. It doesn't have to be huge. It doesn't have to be something that is um, that's magnanimous. It doesn't have to be something that is on the news, but it's touching a life. It's changing a life. And we can find peace in that, comfort in that, and a sense of satisfaction, no matter how big or small it is. So no matter who or where we are, we can make a difference. So that's our lesson for today. We can make a difference and our marriages can be wonderful if we're willing to put in the work. So remember, ladies, you are beautifully and wonderfully made in the image and likeness of God. There are no limits to what you can accomplish, so don't accept any. It's been my pleasure to be with you and I want you to please take care of yourselves. And in this case, take care of your husbands if you're married. Until the next time. 
If you have a topic you would like to hear discussed, please submit them at eveworeareyou.com. Or for church leaders in need of assistance in addressing these types of matters, please contact me by going to my website to submit a request for consultation. To stay connected, you can follow me on Twitter at Dr. Nicole Davis One and Instagram at Eve Where Are You. Now with that said, let's go be a positive force and lift up every woman everywhere. Thank you for listening.